Hello and welcome to Comic Book Junto Origins. I'm your host, Octavia Say Newman, and I am here with another one of our origin stories, and I'm here with my man, Tom King. Well, I'm calling him my, my, my man now because we talked before we officially recorded, and I feel like we're close now. We're close. We're close. Cl- be, can you also be my man so we can double yeah. stuff? Yeah, we can go, right. we, yeah, we can definitely do that. All right. So Start. Tom King is here with me, and we're going to chat about his origin story. So real quick. For those of you, this is your first, maybe this is your first time listening to Origin, because Tom, every podcast is somebody's first, right? Of course. So um, what we do on Comic Book Junto Origins is talk to people who are part of geek, who are creative professionals in geek culture, and we try to talk to them about their origin stories, because um, I think that there's something special about being able to hear where people came from in light of who they are. So I kind of call it going back to Crime Alley, if you will, like... <laughs> you can look at Batman and see this finished product and look at what happened and da 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 da. But at the end of the day, we got to go back to Crime Alley to really understand what's wrong with this dude and why is he like this, you know? So I'm not saying there's something wrong with you, Tom. I'm not trying to say that. But what, no, I, I, what I am trying to say is I think we appreciate more who these people are once we understand where they come from. And it allows us to see ourselves in them and hopefully inspire us to participate and see ourselves doing what they have done or even maybe even more. So that's the idea we're going to do on Origins. Tom, how do you feel about that? I'm excited. Sounds like free therapy. It's awesome. Okay. Don't report to my my health insurance. I'm in. All right. Well, I'm not going to send you a bill. You know what I mean? We'll just call it even after this conversation. See, I'm making money for this time, man. <laughs> All right. Tell me what's wrong with me. I'm in. All right. So, well, wait, wait, can I say before I start what an honor it is to be on this show? And thank you for having me. That's all I want to say. Hey, well, I appreciate that, man. You know, uh, I appreciate the fact that someone who has put out some great content and media in in the internets in the interwebs and to the world takes time to sit down and talk to because you know i mean internet tom don't know me he knows me through twitter you know but what i've consumed no oh that's right you're my man i'm sorry i apologize i'm back dropped so quickly deep intimate connection is already gone what did i do was it the one oh man i shouldn't have agreed to anything it was dr joke what was i thinking no it's all good it's all good it's all good so tom for those people who don't know who you are um and haven't done their googles why don't you let them know a little bit about who you are and you know what you what you do i am tom king i am the writer of funny books um i right now i write the batman from dc comics the main mm-hmm. batman series mm-hmm. which tells the tale of bruce wayne and his struggles to overcome crime alley by punching people in the face. Yeah, yeah. And I'm also known for writing a trilogy of series, um, one called The Vision for Marvel Comics, The mm-hmm. Godlock Acclaim, The Omega Men for DC, and The Sheriff of Babylon for Vertigo, which are all sort of about a person who thinks they're um, entering an easy situation and it turns out it's more complicated. Mm-hmm. So it's called trilogy of good intentions trilogy of good intentions so wh- here's what i've read of your work i've read all the batman i've read all of the vision i haven't read omega man i haven't read chef babylon even though my co-host but yeah the, I, I am out of here I'm throwing my life <laughs> to the ground we are no longer men <laughs> we are no longer men we are yeah. no longer men <laughs> what are we then well, I mean, our, men, our menship has I'd say we're boys, but that, that's like almost more intimate. So we must be old men. We must be the opposite direction. Synthesoids or something? Is that what we're, happened? Yeah, we're synthesoids now, you and I. <laughs> so, yeah, um, so first, who would have read all of my crud? Then you'd see all the repetitions I make. Thank you for just reading the stuff so you think everything's original. I love it. Okay, well, I mean, I'm going to go back. Adam is, is reading o- Omega Men. Uh, not Omega Men, uh, Sheriff right now. 
He's really sounds like a nerd. Sounds like what? A nerd. Well, we all are. You know what I mean? We <laughs> embrace that. We lean into it. Yeah. So listen, internet, spoilers for Batman. Spoilers for Vision, because I have opinions on those and thoughts, but the other two I have nothing to say about. So spoiler, you know what? Spoilers for everything Tom's written with that are uh that have uh pictures attached to him. Because we don't know what he's gonna say. So oh. just just know that now. Awesome. Yes, of course. Spoilers. Yeah. Yeah. So we, you've written some comic books, and we can get into that later on. You've written some, you know, highly acclaimed comic books. But what I like to do, um, like I said before, is I like to go back to Crime Alley. You know, I like to go back to the beginning to get an idea of, you know, where where did you come from? So if you wouldn't mind, why don't you take me back to where it all started, like page one. Get, take me back to the beginning. <laughs> well, my grandparents met. Uh, no, um, right. I, I was uh, born and raised in Los Angeles, California. Mm-hmm. My mother was uh, a, a, a single mother, um, one brother. Oh, yeah. And my mother was a, a studio executive um, for Warner Brothers. I, I grew up in a single parent home too, just me and my mom. You know, people say it's. It, I hate the, the, all the stigma that's associated with it because I felt like I had a pretty happy childhood. Mm-hmm. Like my mom had to work hard to get it done, but yeah. she got it done. Yeah, I think that, I mean, it's similar for me as well. Like, my thing is, I didn't grow up with a father, so I didn't really start seeing what I was missing until I got older. You know, like, I grew up with a mother, and I had a very, a lot of, you know, family and, like, family that's not really blood family, but I had family around me. So, I didn't really start feeling like I was missing out on having a father till it's, like, Father Sunday, and you're like, oh, (laughs) wait, how do, how do I, hey, mom. What do I, you know what I mean? Then you have that conversation. It's like, oh, okay. Missing out. <laughs> yeah, mine walked out when I was seven. So he was still like, I, like I knew where he lived and everything. I didn't see him. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, the, the, the sort of same thing. But it was kind of like, I don't know. It was, uh, I mean, there's all sorts of damage that comes from it. But mm-hmm. we're back on the couch. But, but there's also a little pride in it. Like, yeah, I'm going, you know, yeah, my father's not here. What are you going to make of it kind of thing? Yeah, I don't yeah, know. There's, yeah. there's, there's, there's something about it that, um, because I, I was raised in the 80s when I was, you know, kind of that working girl aesthetic. And my mother was mm-hmm. a single working mom, like trying to climb the corporate ladder kind of thing. Yeah. And uh, I mean, I, I, I took a certain pride in it that my mom sort of, you know, uh, saw the shit come at her and kept going. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. I appreciate it. Yeah. Love. Absolutely. Uh, Absolutely. Now you have kids yourself now. I have too many kids. I have three children. Wait yeah. to make. Was that a difficult transition? Kind of going like, uh oh, how do I do this dad thing? <laughs> yes, yes, one hundred percent. I'm gonna tell you why I'm asking that is because my my wife is pregnant and she's going to be what? Um, Turn around. Yeah. What are you doing? <laughs> yeah, my wife. <laughs> my wife is pregnant, so I'm having those same emotions, those same thoughts of like, wait, how do you? Am I? How am I gonna do this? <laughs> it is weird from like the fatherless point of view. I think that's a that's a special kind of weird for people like us because like like you don't have really a model of how to do. You're like, oh, don't do what that dude did. Yeah, but but step that's such one, an extreme. Here. Yeah, step be one, here, yeah, be around, show up. But then but then sh- showing up is like ninety percent of the game. Then because then once you show up, your instincts take over. So um, okay. the good the good thing about having having kids is that you're not ready for whatever age they are until they get to that age. So like. Mm. When you first have a kid, all the kid does is poop. I mean, there's only three things you have to listen to. Is, 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 is it tired? Does it need to poop? And does it need to eat? And you can handle three things. So you just kind of focus on those three things. And just then you everything else through. comes out. Just rotate you through. cycle through. And yeah, figure it out. Three out. 
Well, ain't but two left, so I already got one down. So I'm getting right. closer. See, there you go. Gotcha. I'll remember that for August. Good to remember. Congratulations, by the way. Thank you. Thank you. So single parent, single parent home. You and your brother. You said. New brother, older brother. Mm-hmm. Uh, who's still around? A good guy, and uh, and grew up in L.A. I, uh, I was one of those very typical. Uh, nerds. I wasn't very good at throwing things mm-hmm. or running in directions or you know, anything that involved putting one foot in front of the thinking. other was tough. That was putting one foot in front of the other was tough. Making a bunch of friends was tough. All that stuff was tough. But what was easy was reading comics. Mm-hmm. So you sort grew up with living them. in that world. Oh yeah, yeah. I grew up with them from the time I was seven, eight, nine. Now, a couple um, questions for you, because I got to dig into that a little bit. Do you remember your first comic book store? Yeah, of course, yeah. Cool. Graffiti Comics, uh-huh. um, which later became Comics Inc., I-N-K, I-N-C, sorry. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, it's I-N-C, I don't know. I was going to um, say, is it a comic book shop and a tattoo parlor? What's going on, Tom? <laughs> you getting inked up while you're reading? I think you might have been a little, when, I mean, it depends on when you got your first comic, because maybe you would have been old enough. I don't know. It's in Culver City, California. Um, it's switched owners since I was in it, so it's not it's not its original anymore. It doesn't look exactly like it did when I was growing up. But yeah, I, I remember. I remember like I didn't even know how to ride a bike. I, I when, I, when we were kids, we were free. My kids aren't free like this. Mm-hmm. You know, I'd be seven years old. It would be after school, and I would just get on my scooter oh. and scooter through Los Angeles like three miles to the comic shop mm-hmm. by myself, pick up a comic and come back. I don't know where my, I don't know why, why if my kid did that now, he'd be locked in his room for a year. <laughs> um, but I was just, that's yeah. To get to the comic book store, it's how I learned to leave the house. It seems like, yeah. yeah, there was a lot of free. I mean, I remember like, I remember, I remember, don't go past, you know, the stop sign and stay in the driveway, like, like that kind of stuff. Because, I mean, when I was I was born in Philadelphia and then around five or six, my mother and I went to Florida. So I did like from five or six to 14. And I say I did like I was in jail. Well, it's kind of <laughs> I did about, you know, from six to 14. I did a, did a bit in Florida. It did sit in Florida. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, you couldn't go past the, you know, the driveway or you couldn't go past the stop sign. But after a while. You know, I could just kind of do whatever. And I think about that now. I'm just like, that sounds terrifying. Uh, With no no cell phones, none of that stuff. You just, yeah. you were, you, if, you, if you showed up at the dinner table, then you hadn't been kidnapped that day. That was right. basically the rule. Right. And also just the sidebar, we'll get back to the comic books. I, I think about movies like RoboCop and Conan. And I'm like, why was I, who was letting me watch this stuff? Like, yeah, dude, Robo- I saw RoboCop in the theaters. I was eight. Predator, all of that. I'm just like, yo, who was watching me? But I mean, you know, I had an uncle and I had an uncle who, I think that's who, I don't know if he introduced me to comics, but he really like influenced a lot. He influenced martial arts. He influenced, you know, Schwarzenegger and all of those kind of movies and muscle and fitness. And like all of that kind of like stereotypical super manly man stuff. Sure. You know, he was like 20 years older than me. So I guess he was just like, yeah, you're fine. You're good. You'll be okay. (laughs) You'll figure it out. And we did. And now we're having kids and being good fathers. So it worked out. So see Robocop in your youth and you'll be a good father. (laughs) Don't see the remake though. No, no, no. Don't see the remake. Just see the original with the people doing coke off of prostitutes' asses. When you're eight. I, I'd buy that for a dollar. When I was a kid, I was like, that sounds amazing. I don't know what it means, but I feel like it's inappropriate, so I like it. I feel like I shouldn't be seeing this, and it means more than I understand, but I'm going to just lean into that. 
because that feels like where I shouldn't be. So I'm going to do more of that. Yeah. So, okay. So first comic book shop, you were getting tattoos while you're buying your comics. Um, do you, of course. Do you remember what your first like comics were? Yeah. I mean, I should go back. A little. I mean, I, I'm old enough that my first comics were bought, um, at newsstands. You know, I think this is, this is a problem with, with generations and people talk about why comics are dying and, and why sales have gone down. Mm-hmm. I really feel it's because our parents don't smoke anymore. <laughs> my parents were, you know, they were packed theirs uh-huh. and they, they had to stop at the newsstand to get another pack every day. And they're like, Oh, well, I'm bringing you with me. I might as well buy you. A, what do you want? Comic book? Fine. They throw it at me. Yeah. And, uh, that's why I got started on newsstands. Um, um, my first comic that hit me like really like in the gut hit me was Avengers 300. I still have it. It's up on my bookshelf. You're, you're, how old were you? I want to be eight, nine, somewhere around there. So you have the book from when you were eight or nine. Yeah. Same That's one. awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I got rid of my, my long boxes got killed. My mother moved, you know, there was one of those typical, they're in my mom's basement. She you know, come get them or else kind of thing. Um, Come get them or else, exactly. And um, and I packed up. I went through all my comics, and you know I have probably eighteen long boxes. And I took one short box of like sentimental comics, like the one you remember, like oh I traded that one with my best friend when I was yeah, ten. Yeah. Or oh man, that was the one I took on that trip, and it just so I just I, so and those are the only comics I have for my youth. It's just one little uh, short box of like sentimental favorites. Right. Um, but I treasure them. And that uh, includes a, uh, yeah. Yeah. If, if my house ever burns down, I'll grab the, the Avengers 300 and then, you know, I'll come back to the kids. Yeah. <laughs> uh, internet. I don't think he means it. Kind of. I'm not sure, but I, I'm going just to say, Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Don't mean it. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. yeah don't mean it. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. You know, what's <laughs> funny. I think I've, I've talked about this on prior shows, like my relationship with physical comics. It's an odd one because I have this feeling of like, well, I have to go to the comic book store and physically buy comic books, right? Like that's part of the religion. <laughs> I mean, like digital is more convenient and I can store more comics at one time, but I don't get to see the comic book guys. I don't get the smell of the comic book store. I don't get the, you know, yeah. religious activity of going in and buying comics. But then when you start thinking about if I buy any, let's say one comic a week, so that's 52 comics a year for X amount of years. And, and anybody going in there and buying one comic. Well, that's not true. <laughs> but most of us who buy regular comics, so it's like, where am I going to put all these things? You know? So I have this weird relationship between do I still keep like hoarding these, these, all these comics? And, and the reason why I think about it is because, yeah, if my house were to burn down, I wouldn't be going and grabbing long boxes worth of comics. That's right. That's the last thing I'd be thinking about at all. So it's like, do I really need these? Um, yeah sidebar a little bit interesting sidebar i'm interested in how everyone collects i think it's it's fascinating to me mm-hmm. um yeah i dropped i mean we're, we're skipping ahead but when i came back to comics um when i was older i only did trades for i don't know six years be, yeah. just because of that reason because at least i could put them on a bookshelf yes. and they were organizable yes um yes. as opposed because by that point i had a wife and you know she didn't want big boxes in her house so at least i'd be right. like no it's, it's, it's a bookshelf it's different right um, that's more digestible for a lot of people it's more digestible for a lot of people now. yeah so you so you read comics up to a point and then you stopped was that because of what yeah i mean i'm right at, i'm right at that generation um that peaked in the early 90s like i was and then just dropped out i was one of the dropouts i feel like a, a lot of people my age did this have sort of the same pattern so like yeah between like you know seven and 15 i was into nerdy comics and we're in the early 90s here yeah 
um, just date myself. And, uh, and you know, what basically happened was I survived on comics. Um, like my mother would never buy me a comic book. She considered them to be sort of a trashy material. Really? So had to, I was had to be my money, you know, made from my allowance, you know, mm-hmm. whatever. Mm-hmm. And then you get to be 15 or 16 and you're basically spending your money on trying to get girls. Ah, yeah. And, uh, there's that transition I mean, of like, I could spend, I don't know how much it was, two, three, four dollars on this, or I could go to the arcade with everybody right. else, which is, you know, like, you know, it's different. But that's <laughs> where everybody's at. Man, I miss arcades. I really I miss do. arcades too. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, literally, I remember the first time I brought a girl home to my room, you know, for us for a study session. I was I was fifteen. Is that a study and, session air quotes, Tom, or are we really studying right now? Well, she said it was going to be a study session, but I have okay. hopes, you know. Okay, got you. Just um, trying to paint the picture here because you know, want to understand what's going on. She was a nice girl, right? Uh, and um, and I I literally like looked around my room, and be like, okay, what if what if she wants to go to my room for the whole study thing? Mm-hmm. You know, the door would be open. But maybe not. Right. And uh, and I looked around my room, and all I got, I got comic book posters on my wall. My floor is full of, of floppies, which I didn't call floppies back then. Mm-hmm. Um, and I got long boxes. I, I literally, like, it was a sitcom, shoved it all in my closet, tore posters from the wall. Because no. back, then, back then, I don't know if people remember this, but I, where I was growing up, reading comics was a sign that you were, there was something wrong with you. You're a weirdo. Yeah, you were you were you were weirdo. I was going to ask you, did you did you were you like did you have friends who were like, yeah, we're all into this, or were you like the odd person, or like where, how how did you fall? Because I mean, I'm hearing not oh I read a comic every now and then, like no, this is my thing, you know how how was that received by your peers? I was in the closet as a comic reader. Ah. I kept it to myself i didn't tell people at school you know this is what i do uh i mean i had like a like one or two good friends i was kind of like yeah i'm into comics but you know i didn't want to let them because there's there were levels of comics like i'm into comics being like oh you know i've i I watched the batman tv show and once in a while my parents buy me comics and they get cigarettes but then there was a level that i was in where i was like Dude, you don't even know Batman's not even Batman anymore. He died in issue two thirty-four, and you know this is just and this, this. I mean, I was like, like super nerd into it. Yeah, and and I hid that part of them totally from like sort of my peer group because I was totally afraid of being ostracized for it. Did you? Do, so you, when you think back on it now, do you think you would have been ostracized? Like, w- w- was your concern valid? You think? Uh, I don't know. I, I was one of those kind of kids. I think I would have lost whatever I did. It wasn't like it was a winning strategy. Uh, um, but I think, yeah, I, I do think even, I mean, I went to high school in the mid nineties and I think if you told someone you were really into, con- like, I remember, <laughs> I remember I was in a, um, comic book store once but I was like not my normal one. I was like out in Santa Monica and I spied a guy who was like one of the cool kids also at the comic book store. Yeah. And we, we looked at each other like two guys in a porn shop. <laughs> like, <laughs> like it was like, whoa, whoa. what's, oh, what's uh, you know, don't look me in the eye. I'm just here with, um, what a coincidence that I would be here, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, there was, there was definitely a sense that like if someone found out you were into comic books, then you weren't cool. Even but back then, man, it was a weirder world. I mean, people don't realize, but like even back then, you wouldn't tell people you were into Star Wars like yeah. it is now. 
or even yeah. or or like I was a big Star Trek guy. You wouldn't tell them that. Mm-hmm. You, I mean, you you hid growing up, sort of where I come from. You hid your nerd that that was a that was a part of yourself you kept to yourself, afraid right. of getting punched in the face. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, it's interesting. I've heard that skateboarding initially was like that too. <laughs> like skateboard like i heard i i, I mean because i skateboarded a little bit like played around with it. i never was good but it was just fun because you know other people were doing it oh skateboard cool um but i remember hearing that skateboarding was like hula hooping <laughs> that was the equivalent it was just like you skateboard it's the same like it's saying like you play with you so you mean you go home and you play with a hula hoop like that's what <laughs> you go home and spend your free time doing is playing with hula hoops it's the equivalent <laughs> at that time and now look at it it's like everybody skates and everybody wants to be a skateboarder and it's funny now to even look at comic books and geek culture which is kind of just getting like stirred up in a gumbo pot with pop culture and it's like well this is not exactly you know drake you know what i mean like drake's (laughs) pop culture beyonce's pop culture i don't know if you know moon girl and devil dinosaur is exactly you know riri williams is now ironheart like who who's riri williams talking about rihanna you know what i mean like (laughs) but it's interesting how now everybody's gonna everybody just saw the story trailer everybody's going to go see thor i mean even being a black man i've seen more black people excited about february 2018 than i've seen about black panther coming in the movies than i've ever heard talk about comic books that's right they're so excited like we, we can't wait till february we go it's gonna be lit we're gonna be in there i'm like i've never heard you talk about a comic book ever what you know about wakanda you know how did, <laughs> how do we get here but it's 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 cool though to see like we kind of feel like well we've always been here and now there's one angle that's like ugh posers you guys aren't real and there's another angle that's like oh it's so great to finally have everybody where we've been you know <laughs> and have others not be like the oddballs anymore i don't have the posers instinct because i just feel that everyone was pretending back then and they're just being more true to themselves uh-huh. uh, that, that's my opinion on the subject i just i think all those school bullies who are beating people up because of star trek were going home and watching star trek i just think uh, we, we we just all had like a collective agreement not to talk about what we we're doing behind closed doors it's of. interesting because every when you talk to people you like star wars and what is like almost every human being go oh yeah like wait hold on well if everybody was watching star wars what was happening <laughs> it's true with that it's the star wars thing the thing that really because bo- people just don't remember that like if you were a star wars fan in 1996 nobody else was a star wars but now every single person is a star wars fan and they what always it, were and they always were it's, yeah it's, it's an amazing transition of culture yeah um, so going back you had the uh you know teenage movie moment sitcom moment you tore down all the posters which that those words hurt my heart you tore oh, posters down that was, i know i, I felt know. it from the verbal from the you know the words passing through the interwebs oh, i had a legion of superheroes poster man I've, I've looked for it on ebay i wish i could find that thing it was beautiful yeah. so was that like the turning point where you said you know what i don't hate this but i'm more interested in other things yeah that was a turning point and uh it, I mean, it was also a quality thing the comics were transitioning into the image era and um and they were losing the sense of the best comics weren't being put out i feel i feel like as we sort of transitioned into that mid-image era after the first sort of full wave, the comics, you know, they, they became sort of these... And everyone was wearing armor and all the shitty things that happened in the late 90s. Gotta have them pouches. Yeah, gotta have them pouches. With just everybody trying to make comics into something 
uh, everyone's trying to be Jim Lee, everyone's trying to be Rob Liefeld, and they're not hitting it, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, so it was also a thing of that, I think this is true today when people talk, I think like the, the quality actually also went down, so it was easier to leave. It's harder to leave when the quality's higher. Yeah, yeah. So if you when you transitioned kind of out of comics, where, what were you into? Where were you spending your time doing? Who were your friends? Like, where, where was the next chapter of Tom King's life? Oh, man. You asked some good questions. Um, I'm just interested. Well, I'm, I, you know, that's what's funny about these podcasts. I'm just talking to you like the mics are off. Like, I, I really yeah. want to know the answer. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's interesting to me. I mean, so then, so the years I was out of comics, that's, that's high school and some of college and most of college and then you know a little after so i mean high school I, I, I was still into nerdy stuff i was still really into star trek um i was uh, but, but i mean mostly i was in, into like get, i was i was uh, really into getting good grades mm. and hanging out with you know my few friends and uh in movies you know like everybody my mother was a exec like i said was a serious executive of warner brothers so she would um she was in charge of the home video division. Oh, um, so we got every single movie for free. Now this is in VHS and Laserdisc. That's how old wow. I am. Wow! And then and then eventually DVD. My mother was one of the um, the pioneers of DVD. She helped invent it. She won an Emmy she for it. She helped invent DVDs. Yeah, isn't that crazy? Wow! Um, we all owe you and your family a debt of <laughs> gratitude, even though nobody buys DVDs even anymore. Nobody buys- but shout out to the King family. You know what I mean? Yeah, I remember because uh, I remember her coming home, uh, and you know, DD was originally called Taz because it's what? spun. It's, it was she was worked for Warner Brothers. Oh, it spun like a like it spun like a Tasmanian devil. Wait, 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 hold on. Let's uh, just we can't move past that too fast. So <laughs> Warner Brothers they created what we know is is that is digital versatile disc? Is that the right? Is that what that Dig- means? Digital video disc. Digital video disc. They created. Yeah. DVDs. They didn't exist before Warner Brothers made them. Yes, with with Toshiba being the, the tech company. And then Warner they, Brothers, and then they had the audacity, Tom King, to try to brand it Taz as the Tasmanian Devil because it's spun. They were going to do that, and then they they realized and they, they had to get all to the you, other- and they were like, "Come on, mom, y'all can't do this." <laughs> they had to get all the companies. You talk to the kids. I'm trying to tell you, I'm the representative. I know what's going on here. <laughs> and I remember it was really controversial because they didn't know what to call it because CDs are obviously were a big deal at that time. So the, the obvious thing to call it was instead of compact disc, they call it video disc. But that was VD. So, mm. yeah, so yeah, but, maybe we don't want to do that. Yes, I remember my mother trying to explain that to me. Like VD is not really an option for. Um, so I remember her bringing home like the like if you look at the DVD on any sort of sign, there's that little like spinny disc. It's like the generic DVD sign. I remember yeah. her bringing those home like six designs, and my brother and I being like, "Yeah, that one, that's the cool one." I'm helping to pick that out. So wait a minute, the internet just you you heard it here first. This is historical information. Tom King and his brother decided they made the executive decision on what the logo was for DVDs. So everybody just, you know, tweet at Tom King TK we, and let we him know you appreciate him. The, we contributed to the decision. Not I only said. did he bring you Batman, not only did he bring you Vision and two other books I didn't read, he also brought you the digital, the, the DVD logo. So shout out to you and your family, man. Uh, mom, my mom worked hard for it. Um, and she, uh, she, she, and well, anyways, I, I'm really proud of her. And, uh, so yeah, so that's, so anyways, my high school life was surrounded by infinite amounts of movies to watch for free. So I watched a ton of movies and, and my mother worked in a studio a lot. So I, I would go to a studio a lot every once in a while. So I sort of grew up in sort of this movie Los Angeles kind of atmosphere. Mm-hmm. 
And uh, yeah, so those are my passions. And then I went to school in New York um, at Columbia. And what did you, what did you, well, one, did you want to go to school or were you like forced to go to school? Were you kind of eh about school? How did you feel when you went to college? Uh, no, I'm, I'm from that. Like, you know, my mother was the, it's, it's that typical American story. Like my mother was the grandchild of the immigrants. Right. So where, yeah, where was she from? Where are you guys from? Uh, she's from New York originally. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so uh, from the Bronx, uh, and so her, so the, the, the immigrants come over, they're janitors, right? And then their, their children don't go to college and they become business people. You know, they make the money. They just find a way to make, to be. and then my mother's the third generation that they become the doctors and the lawyers. So my mother was a doctor, her brother was a lawyer. Mm-hmm. And then the fourth generation better get, sh- better, er, better earn something for all the hard work that's gone before them. Got basically you. Got you. My mother's philosophy. Like, you do whatever you can. But, like, my mother would go down my grades, and I might get all A's and a B, and her finger bitch, she'd find that B, and you what the fuck happened? <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, it was, it was never a doubt that I was going to go to college. Or, yeah. Did you want to, though? Was that, a, was that in your, did you even have a plan at this time? I mean, I always wanted to be a writer. I, uh, that's sort of the, the career I wanted in life. Um, I lo- and I wanted to be a comic book writer. I wanted to be exactly what I am today. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, growing up in L.A., there was the general impression that to be a, to want to be a writer was a folly. It was impossible. It was like winning the lottery. Oh, 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 not like it was a bad career, but it was like highly unlikely. Highly unlikely because every in LA, every, you know, you you go into a restaurant and you throw a pebble and you hit three people that are writing a screenplay. Well, first of all, Tom, let's just talk about. Not only did you write Vision, Batman, you and your brother created DVDs, but you also can throw a pebble and hit three people in a restaurant. Like that, I mean, you're multi-talented. <laughs> I'm like bullseye, man. <laughs> <laughs> you throw one pebble, you hit three people, and they all happen to be screenwriters. Oh, shit, that's what is funny. going on? I'm good. That's yeah. how good I am. I just learned. I, I I have just learned a lot just now. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> yeah. See, when before I said I couldn't throw balls into hoops, you didn't realize. But if they were pebbles, right? Complete. If they're exactly, you know what? And that sport is yet to be created. That might be your next thing. We're doing it right here. First DVD, now pebble ball. There it is. <laughs> um, yeah. So uh, I just grew up with the with the impression that being a writer was not a possibility. So I wanted to become a. a uh, so it was either basically it was like doctor or lawyer, and I was like, well, I can't be a doctor because I'm not that good at science. So I'll be a lawyer. So that was the track I was on. Well, always sort of secretly hoping to be a comic writer. Okay, gotcha. And, and then in, in college, I interned for dc comics for vertigo hmm. uh, now, how, how did you make that connection because i mean you went to school to be a lawyer yeah i mean yeah i mean i was i got a bachelor in you know um in history and philosophy i double majored mm-hmm. uh and yeah with the intention of sort of going to law school afterwards yeah uh but i always like i always kept one foot in the sort of man, could I somehow do be a publisher or do be an editor or do comics somehow? Yeah. It was always in the back of my mind. I didn't even tell people that, but it was like always in the back of my mind. Uh, so yeah, I, uh, again, uh, it, it's, it's good to be good, but it's better to be lucky. Uh, and I was lucky enough to have a mother that worked at Warner brothers, which owned TC comics. Uh, look, okay. It's good to be good, but it's also better to be lucky. 
<laughs> yes. I like that. That's first of all, I quote's good, and the connection has been brought full circle. That's interesting. Okay, keep 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 us going. So my mom was friends with Paul Levitz, who was a famous Legion of Superhero writers and was also head of the DC Comics. And she hooked me up and said, go talk to Paul and um, maybe he can find something for you. And so I, 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 I walked into a DC Comics and Paul, I was a huge Legion of Superhero fan. I could barely talk. All I wanted to ask him was about Legion of Super stuff. If you ever met Paul, he's this super... Um, you know, little nerdy guy, nebbishy guy, and, you know, he's talking about comics and I was like totally starstruck. And somehow he said, okay, we have an opening as an intern. It was in vertigo. It wasn't even in DC comics. And so I was like, yeah, whatever. I'll do whatever you want. You know, I'll, I'll sweep the floors, you know, I'll scrub the kitchen with, I'll, I'll show my pebble skills and, and, and hit three people at once. I might even get four. <laughs> Give me enough tries. For you, Paul. Yeah. So I, I ended up as, as basically the copy boy at vertigo comics. Uh, which and I, I wasn't into superhero. I was I wasn't into uh, non superhero comics. And hmm. uh, I, I had never sort of explored that. When I grew up, it was Marvel or DC, and maybe a little Image. But I wanted people with capes, yeah. and I wanted them to have masks on. I wanted them to be fighting. Yeah, uh, I very rarely went outside that except maybe it was like Elf Quest and stuff. It's so interesting and, now that comic books have infused into all kinds of different storytelling like even we talk we, we do uh, these things called one shots which are our movie reviews on comic book junto and, sure. we, and adam and i talked about logan and how logan have you seen logan yeah of course logan is just a good movie it's That's not right. even like take away adamantium claws and give them guns a shotgun a stick you know what i mean like it's just a really good movie and now you got image and you got all these creator owned books who are just like these are just good stories so when people go i i tell people all the time like i, I tell my wife specifically i read all the time she goes i read may, way more than you she goes what do you read i said i read comics every week and she kind of like rolls her eyes i'm like that's a legitimate <laughs> form of literature you know like oh guys punching each other like i mean she's joking because she knows she knows better but it's just like an ongoing joke but it's like you know I mean, they're, 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 even if they do have on capes and cows or not, there's all kinds of stories being told in comic books. Whereas when I was, again, when I was young, it wasn't like that. I mean, maybe it wasn't. I just didn't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I managed to ignore all that other stuff that wasn't sort of made. Now you go back and you look at it and you find, you know, Bone and you find um, all that stuff. But, um, but yeah, I, I didn't. So, so when I hit Vertigo... I was like, whoa, what is, what is Sandman? What is Hellblazer? What are these? And uh, at, at that time, uh, Preacher was, I was in the middle of a, of a really huge vertigo upswing of cool stuff. Because I worked on Preacher. Uh, I worked on uh, Transmetropolitan. Uh, I worked on the beginning of 100 Bullets. And uh, now, when you say worked work, on, oh, yep, you brought the answer to my question. Go for it. <laughs> I mean photocopied. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. <laughs> or I read, you know, back in the day, this is before, not, like, this is when they were transitioning to digital, but, like, I did stuff like letters would have to letter on on the paper, and the paper, the color, um, you know, they have a piece of paper, and little people would write the words on it, and they photocopy for that in a comic. Uh -huh. um, so, but letters would have lines, so they kind of wrote straight, I'd erase the lines. Like, I'd taken a, one of my jobs to erase lines on, on art. Um, so little crap the crappiest lowest job in comics and i loved it it was great my and my my boss at the time was cliff chang was like a famous comic who just won wow. the eisner for best comic artist um, wow. and my other boss was axel alonzo who's now head of marvel comics yeah gotta get him and, on the show hey listen since we're boys 
you know, hook, hook the, I, I got a couple people I need you to hook up to get on the show. We'll talk about it later. I will tie you. Got you. Uh, yeah. So uh, it was it was an interesting learning experience. And then I did that again the next year. I, I interned for Marvel Comics. Mm-hmm. Um, I leveraged the DC thing to get into Marvel, and I, I ended up being Chris Claremont, who wrote X Men for a long time. I was his like assistant. Yeah. Yeah. At the time, so at the time he was the chief creative officer, and uh, which meant he reviewed all the scripts that came in and sort of uh, decided if he liked them or not. And and that was an amazing learning experience because what it basically was was Chris Claremont, who's sort of a, st- a storytelling genius in the history of comics. It was basically I would read every script that came into Marvel, and then Chris and I would talk about what was good about it, what was bad about it, what worked, what didn't, and wow. then he. And we would write up notes on them and people generally ignored the notes, but it was, it was just a great learning experience to read scripts by John Byrne, yeah. uh, uh, Roger Stern. And then of course that was in the middle of a, of a, of a transition to what comics are becoming right now when sort of the revolution hit, which, you know, then reading scripts by Kevin Smith and hmm. Jenkins, uh, the people who sort of turned comics into something else, Marvel Knights, and which yeah. I think continues to today. And yeah, I mean, that was an amazing learning experience on how to make comics. Um, yeah, I can imagine yeah. that that was, I mean, it, it might have just seemed like playing, you know, or just having fun. But I can only imagine what that's done for you as a writer now. I mean, the amount of data that you've taken into your brain, like recreationally slash working, you know what I mean? <laughs> to now, when you get ready to come up with a story, you're like, oh, that reminds me of, you know, or I've seen something somewhere, can't quite put my finger on where it came. You know what I mean? Like you have so much information in your head. You've experienced so many stories um, that are made for comic books that I'm sure it's helped out a lot. You, do you think so? Oh, uh, yeah. Hell yeah. I mean, one of my jobs at Marvel at the time, I was, I was one of their continuity guards. So like it was my job continuity to... Continuity guards? You were Heimdall for continuity? I was. I was Heimdall for continuity. <laughs> so it was my job to like read the comics and be like, no, that doesn't match up with what we did here in, in you know 1972 or whatever. So wow. like I knew Marvel comics. I, I A lot of that knowledge leaked out of my head, but it's still somewhere back there. Wow. I knew Marvel comics like nothing else. Just I just back and forth, everything about them. I grew up as a Marvel zombie. It's funny, I've worked for DC my whole life, but... Mm. Except for vision, um, but uh, yeah, yeah, that 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 still continues to help me to this day. So yeah, so I did that, and uh, at the very end of it, I pitched a story um, for the Black Knight, which they bought, and I was going to write the Bla- Black Knight ongoing series, and I couldn't have been happier. And I was convinced I was the next Jim Shooter. I was going to be in comics at twenty one, uh-huh. so young, and I was, and I was like, oh, forget all this. Um, college and law school and all that i'm gonna be a great comic writer and then uh, uh marvel went bankrupt and every single contact i had the company got fired wow <laughs> yeah including bob harris who was editor-in-chief at that time who's currently my boss at dc he's editor-in-chief at dc so i joke with him about this like oh thank god you moved so, um so in that moment do you remember were you heartbroken were you eh, it's good you know, what, what was that? You're 21 years old at this time, right? And you have basically concluded it's about to go down. Wait till they get a load of me. And then, <laughs> like, they pulled the a plug. I mean, what was that moment like? Oh, yeah, I was heartbroken. I, it, was, it was tough. It was tough. I, I can still remember sitting there getting those emails of, like, sorry, Tom, you know, we're moved on. And uh, I remember that they paid me um, like $1,000, which was so much money for me back then um for for a script i wrote that never got published they paid me like half rate for it um and uh i remember being 
horribly excited about it. But yeah, it, it was it was a crushing blow because it was right at that time that I was like sort of looking for an after college job, and I thought I'd found one. And so yeah. I'm like, oh, so I just have to do what everyone else does and find some crappy law firm job and become a lawyer like I was supposed to. Because I mean, literally, you, you, you would, I would talk to Bob Harris, and, and he'd be like, "Yeah, comics will be dead in six months." It was and this is 2000? Like, period. There will be no more comic books. This comic industry is gone. I mean, Marvel was bankrupt. They were in bankruptcy. That, I mean, that's, that's how, when they started. That's how Mike Perlman made a billion dollars. And is he bought Marvel when they were bankrupt for nothing and then sold them for $4 billion to Disney mm. 10 years. Yeah. And is this the time where they're selling off the, all the movie properties and stuff like that? Yeah, when they sold the rights to X-Men for $50,000. They sold the rights to X-Men for $50,000? It's something ridiculous. Like that, yeah. Whoa. Um, that's a car <laughs> not even an amazing one no. yeah so it's when the, yeah it's it's when the thought of a superhero movie was basically unthinkable except for like that Stanley Swamp thing thing you know um, <laughs> so yeah uh, it, it, it looked like the future was dead and then wonderfully just those those the, those Marvel Knights comics it was um, Jimmy Palmiotti and um Oh my god! Uh, uh, oh, my Joe Casada, mm-hmm. uh, who's still head of the Marvel Comics, took over. They they were they were doing a, a small little like kind of niche line of like more comics for adults, and they took over the company. And then they changed how comics were written, and they brought in Bendis, and they brought in Mark Miller, and they brought in Brian K. Vaughn, and, uh, and and Robert Kirkman, and and they brought in the new some generation. Big some big names. Yeah, and you know, Ed Brubaker. And basically that generation that's right above me that they, they came back and sort of revitalized the medium in yeah. the, in the, in the, in the aughts. Uh, but I, I was out by then. And then, uh, so then I worked for the justice department, uh, here in DC. So when I first moved out to DC, I met my current wife mm-hmm. and, um, then nine 11 happened. I, I worked for a program that helped, um, veterans uh, get some money for cancer. Okay. And, uh, and then nine 11 happened and, uh, I wanted like a million other people. I want to do something about it. Yeah. To be helpful. And uh, I joined the CIA. You, and wait, hold on. Wait, you joined the CIA. You don't know this about me. I mean, you just said it. You, I'm just, I'm just trying to slow it down. Cause you said, I joined the CIA. I'm like, Whoa, hold on. Wait a minute now. Like that's a big, that's a big deal. I had heard that, but I mean, I think that's, that's a huge undertaking. That's a huge jump from, I'm going to write comic books to I'm going to join the CIA. Yeah, it was. Although it didn't, it didn't seem like that big a jump to me because I mean, what are comic books? But you you spend your whole youth reading about people um, taking on other identities and trying to save the world. And yeah. so when nine eleven happened, I was like, okay, how can I do that? And yeah, CIA seemed like the closest thing. So wow. I mean, I think there's, there's a line between the two. Um, it seemed, yeah, I, it seemed like it. And I was always good with information. Like I said, I was a a continuity nerd and so like that's so why i thought i'd be like one of those guys who are like okay we need people to put the dots together for the next text i was like i can do that i know how to sort of merge information together uh and then but when i got into all the psychological testing and stuff no they're like no you're going to be a, a front line what they call an operations officer hmm. and, and those are guys that go out and um and you know they were rec- they go into the field and you recruit people uh to disrupt terrorist operations or you directly disrupt terrorist operations through whatever mm-hmm. means necessary. Mm-hmm. And so that's, that's what I did for, for six and a half, seven years. I did counterterrorism overseas uh, and domestically for the CIA. So you're not, you're not at literally on the front lines physically, but you're on the scene in a, in a different way. 
Oh, no, you're on the front lines physically. No, I was out there. I was in Iraq and, um, and in the sort of the Afghan theater. I spent some time there. Wow. Wow. So what does that role actually do? Because I, I'm not familiar with what exactly you were doing. I mean, for people like me who are kind of like, I kind of get what you're saying. What exactly were you doing, if you don't mind? Sure. No, I mean, I, I, you get up to, I can't talk about exactly what I'm doing. Oh. So it's kind of a little bit. <laughs> right. I got you. That makes sense. Yeah. So you get a little bit up against it. But I mean, if you go to the website, you can read what operations officer is, but they're in charge of um, uh, finding out where the next attack is going to be and finding out how to disrupt that attack by any means necessary. Gotcha. Fair enough. Yeah. Yeah. So I spent, I spent, um, uh, 2004, I was in Iraq, uh, for about five months. And, um, then I spent some time working here in a job that sort of by saving the States and went overseas for a bit, um, back and forth. And then I spent uh, a year in the Afghan, um, Pakistan theater. And then I worked a desk job here for two years. And then I had my first kid, uh, Charlie mm-hmm. and, and uh, basically decided I couldn't be the CIA officer I wanted to be and the father I wanted to be at the same time. I goes back right. to that single uh, mother thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, just because I really love war zones were kind of what I, I liked doing and I didn't want to, I mean, I spent the first um, four years of my marriage, I spent more than half of it not with my wife, you know? Wow. And so it was, I didn't want to do that to my kids. That must have been tough. Yeah, we've been through some stuff. So, uh, so I decided to take a year off and I went from being, uh, and, 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 and by that time I had, I always wanted to be a writer and I still wanted to be a writer and I wanted to, and, and, and so I, I was like, I, I want to write, I want to be a writer. So I've always wanted to do, and I know it's my last chance to do it. What if I took a year off, I'll take care of the kid and I'll write while I'm taking care of the kid. And then in a year, if it, if it works, I'll, I'll, not, we'll do the novel thing. If it doesn't, I'll go back to CIA. Uh, and that's what I did. So I went from being CIA officer one day. The next day, I was Mr. Mom. Wow. Taking, taking, taking care of my... You were Batman. <laughs> I was Batman. I was... I was uh, Michael I was Keaton like, before he was Batman. Isn't Michael like, Keaton Mr. Mom? Wasn't that Yeah, Michael was? Keaton made Mr. Mom, yeah. <laughs> I was Mr. Mom. I was yeah. thinking like Hulk Hogan. And that's, um, uh, yeah, so I was, that's what I did. So then uh, I did diapers and bottles and all that stuff. And wrote at night between three and um, between twelve and three in the morning. Whoa! And I wrote. I, wrote an, I, I literally uh, my origin story. It's funny. I'm on a podcast. So what I do is I listen to people podcast origin stories mm-hmm. and try to see which one I could get in. And the one I listened to was Brad Meltzer, uh, who, who wrote Justice League for a while. And his origin story was he was a Washington guy, worked on the Hill, and he wrote a novel. And it became successful, and the comic book people found the novel, and they hired him off it. And I just decided to follow that track. Wow. So I was like, okay, I can't make a comic because I need, I, I can't draw, but I can write a novel. And I'll, so that's what I did. I wrote a novel at night, and then after a year, I, I had an agent, and uh, and I, I sort of came to that decision point: go back or go forward. And I decided mm-hmm. to go forward, and I sold the novel to Simon and Schuster, and. Uh, and that was my first thing I ever got published was my novel. Now, did they, the person who became started. your agents, did they come find you or did you go find them? No, once again, I got it through a hookup. Uh, my stepmother, that's my father. This is a good, this is a good advice for people trying to break into the business. Okay, here we go. Um, 
you have to use connections and i'm miserable i hate using connections it embarrasses the fuck out of me to be like hey man can you you know a guy who knows a guy can you hook me up like that kind of thing right and, and it's 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 mind not soul scraping mind numbing to do that stuff but you have to do it and like i went to my stepmother and like i said my father you know the best relationship didn't go to my stepmother and be like hey you know somebody do you mind but like i did it even though i didn't want to do it and she got and she did she knew somebody who was an agent she got my manuscript in front of that agent and then he called me and said you know uh, hey i read it i i think i can publish it if you cut a third <laughs> and he, if he would have said i think i can publish it if you give me one of your children's arms i would have said yes i was like yeah i was i was gonna cut a third anyways so <laughs> no a, a uh, third of the script not a third of your child yeah. oh no no yeah no i know yeah. that's what i was saying yeah either way yeah either third, way. Oh, oh, whatever oh, yeah whatever um so uh yeah, so um, that's how I got my agent, and then he sold the book. And, awesome. uh, what book is it? It's a once crowded sky. You've never heard of it because nobody bought that fucking book. But you got that money though. I got the money. And I got encouragement. I got the money. I got the encouragement. Um, and I was a writer for a year or so, and then I wasn't a writer anymore. Now, why weren't you a writer anymore? What happened? So I, I wrote a I wrote a book. It got published. It was from a big publisher. It got good reviews. Um, and then it sold nothing. Nobody bought it. It was a success for like two days when it got this AB Club review. They called it The Next Watchman. And then I just watched it sort of bomb after that. The Next Watchman? What do you, now, now, let me ask you this. Looking back on it now, how long ago was this? Four years ago? Five years ago? Okay. 2012? Yeah. When you, when you look back on it now, what, do you are you proud of it? I'm proud of parts of it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, I, yeah, I, I like it. I mean, I, I, to, to me, it seems like a, a guy learning to write, um, which is was a necessary step. So I'm proud that I took that step to learn to write. And I mean, there's stuff in it that I think is some of the best stuff I've ever done, and there's stuff in it that I think is a little amateurish. Mm -hmm. yeah, but uh, but altogether, I think it holds up. People still come up to me who say they loved it, so it makes me proud of that. And it was very experimental. I mean, it was very ballsy. It was a, it was a novel about superheroes, which wasn't being done a lot before then, about all, all new superheroes, and it incorporated graphics in it. So there was actual art, comic book art in it. Interesting. Um, uh, I, it, it was about a bunch of superheroes who all lose their powers and sort of become normal. So all the flashbacks to when they were superheroes were in comic book form and all the present stuff was in prose form. So, you know, it was like a very, I don't know, it just seems very ballsy to me to, to like be like, Hey, here's a novel. I'm going to blow it up and add comic books to it and hmm. something different with the form. So I'm, I'm proud of that parts of it, especially to sort of have the guts to do it. It sounds cool. Yeah, it's good. Once crowded sky, go buy it. You can buy it for a penny off Amazon. There it is. Internet. Once, once, a, once a crowded sky. A once crowded sky. A once crowded sky. So, comic book gentle listeners, go check that out. You know, Tom got these bills to pay. He's got these kids. You know, so buy I'm doing, I'm doing fine. <laughs> buy it if you want. I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm joking. So, where do we go from there? You, so, the book didn't do well. How, how do we get back in the comics? Book didn't do well, but uh, I got and and I and I wrote another book and tried to sell that book and it didn't sell so then suddenly i'm like whoa i'm just a guy with a book with a book on his computer um and uh, at, at comic-con 2012 2013 somewhere around then like i said cliff chang i knew him back from my days as an editor of vertigo mm -hmm. and i went up to cliff at a comic-con and we, we were he, he was going to do the art like i said my book had art and he was going to do the art then he got the wonder woman gig so at least i sort of re recontacted him about it so i knew him a little bit and i was like cliff 
I wrote this book. It got good reviews. And like, I mean, you have to understand that at that time I was hand selling my book because I realized nobody was going to buy it. So I was going from comic con to comic con to comic con, just hand selling my book. I'd buy myself a booth. I'd sit there and be like, Hey, can I tell you about my book? And I'd be like, why well, I'm here for a comic book. Why would I buy a novel? Yeah. And I just, over and over pitching like just you know going putting a bunch of books in the back trunk of my car and dragging them in and just like to like any place that would have me i went to firehouses i went to little hotels i went really? to the big shows like a just and you know just doing the, the legwork of trying to sell a book you know that i think that's really that i think that's really something to like to take a moment and pause on because like i know for me I've had things that I want, I really want, but you know, are you willing to go to a firehouse and pitch a tent? Not pitch a tent, but you know, p- put up a table and possibly, you know, are you willing to have that conversation with your mother-in-law about, you know what I mean? Having those embarrassing pieces that you don't want to do because we can look at Tom King and we can read, you know, the end of I am Bane and go, Oh, I want to be like him, you know? Um, but then do you, but do you want to carry all these books into these comic cons? Do you want to have these uncomfortable conversations? And, that, and I think that's what's great about origin stories. You know, we can look, we can now look at what the current version of you, of who you are right now and go, I have context, you know, for who that is and how he got there and what it took to get to the point to close vision number 12 and go, man, that guy's good. You know what I mean? Like there's context now. Uh, I, there's no one way to get into comics, but I don't think I know anyone in comics who didn't do the circuit, who didn't do the footwork of going to every little podunk con they could and trying to sell their first work. Yeah. And you and you go and you'll you'll stay in some crappy hotel and you'll spend you'll spend your own money to have people not buy your books and the whole time just so you can get your business card in front of an editor and be like, hey man, you mind if I send you an email? Like just for a one second interaction. Right. Um, I don't know anybody who didn't do that. Every, every, everyone's, that, that's, that's, that's just how you get in. I mean, if you go to a comic book store and you look and you go in and you know, you can go and see like, or you can go to, go to a convention now and like, you, you go through artist alley. Those are the people that are trying to break in. I mean, those are the people that are sitting there trying to sell their stuff. My, my thing was I had magnets, I had little magnets in my book cover and I would give them away for free. And so I'd be like, Hey, you want free magnet? People like, Oh yeah, I'll put it on my refrigerator. And then when they come up to get my magnet, I could pitch them on the book and be like, Hey, you know, I got a book here. <laughs> <laughs> it's ridiculous but i did it uh, I, I think i gave out like five thousand magnets or something wow um well, so if you're that, out there and you have a once crowd sky magnet in my refrigerator shout out to you shout out to you thanks for stopping that's great so second book you had it on your computer second book didn't sell i went to cliff chang i said hey i i i, I got this book i didn't tell him about the no sales i was like hey but it got great reviews um I want to write comics now. Like, how do I do that? And Cliff gave me my, one of my big breaks, which was, he said, use my name. He gave me a bunch of emails, everyone at DC, because he didn't work at Marvel. And that's, that's why I work at DC to this day. And he said, use my name just so they know you're not crazy and email these people and, and go forth. Uh, and so Cliff gave me a list of maybe like six or eight editors. And I emailed all of them, each individually. Uh, with a little like note like oh i like this book you're working on and uh, and here's here's my novel here's like what somebody said about it i'd love to write comics i wonder if we could talk or something or, or you know it, it was like give me a series it was more like hey i want to start a conversation um right and uh, and i was ignored by most of them the only one who responded was karen berger who was head of vertigo who i interned four years ago of course didn't remember me um and she said hey man you want to have a meeting at new york comic-con we'll have coffee. And I probably, she was more intrigued by the CIA thing than the book thing. But, uh, and so at New York comic con, 
2013 or 14-ish. Uh, Karen Berger, who was... I mean, she said, I don't know if you guys know who Karen Berger is, but she discovered Alan Moore. She discovered um, Jason Aaron. She discovered um, Garth Ennis, mm-hmm. Neil mm-hmm. Gaiman, um, Grant Morrison. Tom King. Tom King. Yeah, right. Um, Scott Snyder. I mean, the, the, some names. of the people came from people who were under her, but, um, but her... So all those people came out of the Vertigo shop under Karen Berger. Um, and so what an honor to be sort of sing to, to, so, so I met with her in New York Comic Con and I thought it was just going to be like a, you know, meet with me, see if I was crazy. And then maybe we'd have a follow up or she'd send me an email, but she's like, take me to your booth. So I have one of those booths where I get my magnets and she took me to the booth. She sat down, Karen Berger sitting up down my crappy little booth. I'm like, oh my gosh, she has sodas everywhere. And, uh, <laughs> sodas everywhere. What kind of soda know, were you I- drinking? Diet Pepsi, like by the bucket load. Okay, as uh, long as you weren't drinking like Surge or something wild yeah. like that. <laughs> but I'm a mess, and so I was messy back there. So to invite someone back into your the backspace of your booth is where you hide who you are. Um, all and the Surge goes under the table. All the Surge goes under the table, you know. And so, uh, and she's like, "So pitch me a series, a Vertigo series." I was like, "What?" And on I was the like, spot. On the spot, she said, "Pitch me a series," and uh, and I came up with something, and. Uh, I've done this before since then, um, but this was the worst one where you're, you're pitching something you see on the face of the person you're pitching to that it is not landing at all. <laughs> you just see like, as if it falls from your mouth and it's just sitting on the table, like just like a, like a, like a smelly turd. And you're both looking at me like, well, there's a turd in the middle of this table. Should we talk about it? That is, that visual is hilarious. <laughs> and, um, and I, I think honestly, out of just sympathy for me of, of the embarrassing situation, Karen said, well, let me, um, I have a one of well, I'm putting on an anthology of like a bunch of eight pagers. Uh, why don't I introduce you to one of my editors who's editing the anthology, and maybe you can do an eight pager for us, and you can pitch for it. So I went from being a series to maybe pitching an eight pager. All right, and uh, and I pitched the eight pager. I used my artist from my with Tom Fowler, a brilliant artist, and it was for a little time warp. It was just like an eight page story for Vertigo, and it got in an anthology. And uh, and my editor on that was a guy named Mark Doyle. Um, and he liked the the stuff I give him, and uh, I was I was fortunate enough that sort of that, that my my eight page story sort of stuck out of the anthology. Like a lot of people were sort of praising it. Um, and off of that, I got another eight pager, so I wrote that eight pager, and then I was sort of pitching series um, uh, to Vertigo, and they kept getting rejected. They get accepted by Vertigo, and then Dan DiDio would slap them down. And then I got lucky that Mark Doyle, the editor on those little things, got promoted to be head of the Batman office. And then he brought me in to co-write Grayson, which was sort of the new um, Nightwing book that had come out a few years yeah. ago. Yeah, and, where, he, where he's basically uh, super he's a, spy. He, yeah, he's an agent or something like that, right? Yeah, yeah he's, a, he's a super spy. He's like, you were a spy, you were a super spy. And and so and then, but you're in co-write Tim Seeley, who I hadn't met them, but I knew his work, and I was a big fan. And it turns out Tim is like the nicest guy in comics. He's still like my brother to this day. And so Tim and I uh, wrote this book together. And it was the best way to learn because I had a professional sort of co-writing with me, but I also could do weird sort of stuff and, you know, try to do mind-bending stuff that I like to put in comics. And uh, and then, uh, you know, it launched from there. And Grayson was a big success, and that led to Vision, which was a big success. And that led to Omega Man, which wasn't a success at all. And, <laughs> and that led to Batman. Mm-hmm. Wow. 
So now, now that you've brought us up to date to, to vision and first of all, I appreciate you telling the story because the story is intriguing. It's interesting. Is it intriguing enough? I hope it's interesting enough. Yeah. At least it involves some counterterrorism. So there's at least guns going. I feel like when I tell my origin story, it's almost like writing a script. I was like, Oh man, I can't, it can't be all talky talk. Yeah. There's action in there. Yeah. And you did a good job. I mean, especially the part where you're making the pitch and it doesn't work. (laughs) We've all been there. Every yes. one of us have been there, whether it's an interview or whether it's you're trying, you know, you're trying to like ask somebody out on a date and they're just like, ew, no. Yeah, we've we've all been in that moment. So I, in the middle of that, you know, there are always bumps in the road and stuff. So I, the editor of Batman before uh, I was working for Grayson had pitched me. He, he, uh, he read my eight He's like, hey, why don't you write a Batman story for me? And maybe we'll publish it. Maybe we won't. And those are called inventory issues. So I wrote this issue for him. I put everything into it. I wrote this issue and he's like, kind of got it. And they paid me for it, which was amazing. Cause I wasn't going to pay for anything back then. And he's like, Oh, that, that's, that's great. Um, you know, kind of like uh, KIT, keep in touch. <laughs> like like right. we'll never speak of this. Don't ever and, change. You know? Yeah. Don't ever change. <laughs> I was like, Oh, it was one of those things where he's like, like, you know, he's, he's, he's like, uh, Hey, why don't we get together at a uh, comic con and we'll talk about this. And then like, like I, I like, I like, went to New York Comic Con, I wasn't planning to go, I was like, I'm just going for this one meeting, because he's going to tell me I'm, I'm writing some Batman thing, right? And then, like, he canceled on me, you know? <laughs> like, didn't even show up to our meeting. Yeah. He's like, oh, man, sorry, I thought we were going to get coffee, but I slept in. Anyways, I'll catch you at the next one. I'm like, no! Wow. Um, but, the lesson from that was, so, to forward my keep in touch, I would send him a pitch every week, a Batman pitch, just for a single issue, for a, wow. a, a series issue, and, and it was generally ignored. Like he's like, okay, yeah, thanks. You know, sometimes like once every third one, he'd be like, thanks, Tom, or something, just nothing. But um, I'm doing this big event now called War of Jokes and Riddles, which is going to be this this huge thing in Batman. Heard and about that, that? That literally comes from a pitch I made, an unsolicited pitch uh, to the Batman editor that was ignored. Wow. <laughs> It's just amazing to me that hundreds of thousands of people are going to read that now um, from the stupid, you know, I just have, I, I, I literally have a document that's just like 50 Batman pitches just once a week. I pitch Batman so you and pi- be ignored. So you pitch Batman for basically a year straight, once a week for a year straight. Yeah, basically. And like, again, that's something to point out. Like your writing volume ha- must have been through the roof. You must have, I mean, because I'm assuming that wasn't the only thing you were writing or was it? Maybe I'm assuming wrong. Well, no, I mean, at the time when I was struggling, I was writing my third novel, um, which, which again, didn't get published, but that, that third novel became Sheriff of Babylon, uh, which is published and has a big hit. So, mm-hmm. uh, and at that time I was doing, I did a little writing for, I did fan fiction writing for Amazon that they paid me for. I mean, you, 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 when you're trying to get into writing, you know, and you're writing, especially when you don't have another job, you know, my other job was taking care of my kids. And I'm, I love taking, I love my kids. I love them to death. But taking care of kids is hard. And I wanted to get free of that. <laughs> so, uh, and um, so I was, you know, I, wherever I could find money to get paid. I mean, I remember like, uh, you know, I pitched little comic companies that had like, you know, rights to like, you know, like Atari video games. I mm-hmm. pitched Atari video game comics. And you just go, whoever's biting, you know, you just find some lead to bring you in. You're just working is what it sounds like to me. You're just putting it out there. That's what you got to do to get in, man. You have to be rejected. A, I mean, and, and it's also like you get the attitude. And it's a good attitude to have. Like you have to be rejected a hundred times to get accepted once. So when you get like your first 50 rejections, you're like, all right, I only got 50 to go. Only 50 to go. All right, 40, you, know, 40. you just gotta, you know, you yeah. keep going. Yeah. I'm doing a design apprenticeship right now. And my mentor, Dan Mall, shout out to Dan Mall. Um, I remember the first time I presented something to him. Um, and he basically went up one side of me and came down the other. 
which is what it felt like. But it was really like to him, he's like, this is actually very polite. Um, and he told me, he's like, this is the first thing you've ever presented to me. It's probably, it's not good. And you're probably going to have about, uh, for every hundred things you do is literally what you just said, you're going to have one that's good. So now the thing is, how do you get to a thousand things? And it's just like, oh, that was, pers- that was like a paradigm shift of, oh, that's how this works. So yeah, this is the first thing you've ever presented to me. Of course it's not good. What did you expect? You know, like, did you expect it to be the best thing I ever saw? You know, and it was really like, and like he said, and when I think back on it, it was rather polite. It's just that my, my emotions were so wrapped up in it. And I was, you know, nervous and kind of fragile about what I was doing. That's right. That's right. You know, but as we've had conversations more and more and we're going through it more and more, I'm starting to understand. And I'm now I'm just kind of like, of course, he's going to have something to say. That's how this works. It doesn't mean, oh, I'm the worst. It, that's how it works. There's always going to be some sort of critique and an opportunity to be better. Yeah. And, and the weirdest thing happens, and there's, there's a great YouTube I used to watch of Ira Glass talks about this. He used to watch it over and over again. But like when you're a big fan of something and, and like yourself, but you read a lot of comics and you become a critic of comics and you can see what's good and what's bad. And you're like, well, I know what's good. So when I write, it's going to be good. Like that, that's kind of like how your, your head interprets things. Hmm. And then, and then you write and you're like, and you read it over, you're like, Oh my God, this is bad. <laughs> like yeah. the pro- your first products you put out there are not as good as you want them to be. It's only, I, I, I like to, um, you ever watch Bill and Ted's those movies, Bill and Ted movies. Yes, indeed. Um, the bogus journey, the second one, profound effect in my life. The, at, at the at the end of bogus journey, you've been watching this this two movies with these two guys who are like we're going to be rock stars, we're going right. to be metal metal rock stars when this whole thing ends. And they get up on stage and they're in front of everyone. The crowd is pumped and they're like, "Yeah, let's do it!" You know, they have the support of every single person ready for them to go. And they start playing their instruments and they suck. Yeah. <laughs> And they're like, oh, dude, you know, all that we did, we forgot to practice. <laughs> uh, that is yeah. 100% what it felt like to, to, to sit down and be like, I'm going to be a writer and start writing. It was like, holy shit, I suck. Who knew? Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. So, like, you have to do, I mean, you have to do with Malcolm Gladwell, you have to do your 10,000 hours. You have to be the Beatles in Germany and just play the songs over and over again until, uh, until you're good. And I, and, I, and I did that. And, you know, I went literally read like book like grammar for dummies and hmm. Stephen King's book on how to write and John Gardner's book on how to write, Al Moore's book on how to write, Daniel O'Neill's book on how to write, and just st- studied and studied and studied and, 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 and until hopefully I got something out of it. And it's it's paying off. So like that, that kind of leads me to ask a couple questions. So one, let's go to vision. Tell me about what now spoilers for vision, spoilers spoilers for vision one the vision one through twelve by Tom King. So we don't want to hear it. We done told you in the beginning, telling you again. <laughs> Three, two, one, it's your fault. Spoilers. <laughs> um, so what what was the message you were trying to get us? What were you trying to communicate to us in vision? What were you trying to say? I don't really believe in in thinking of comic books that way of like okay here's here's the message of what i'm trying to do because if i was gonna write i i, I, I feel this way about all literature and art like if, if i was gonna write you a message and, and sort of tell you like you know advice on how to live your life or something like that i would just write it you know i would do it like here's an essay here's a blog here's like a message the point of fiction is to get beyond language to get beyond essays into something more true mm-hmm. like something that we can't just we can't we can't get at 
from from words. I don't mm-hmm. know how. To, that's a that's a pretentious, stupid thing to say, but that's how I feel. I'm following you. Uh, um, so. I mean, there, I, I, I had emotions that were involved in it, and I had themes I was looking at and examining, but I, there was there's no literal translation of like a message I wanted you to learn from Vision. Mm. But the thing I want you to learn from Vision is to read the next issue of Vision. Okay. Um, okay. That's interesting. So, so that, that's, I mean, I mean that, what the work became about was, um, was the love for your family and, and sort of how that love can translate into tragedy. Um, and that's mm. what I explored through it, but there's no, I, I don't believe in a message anyways. I don't know. But, so that's, okay. anyway, sorry, that's, that's, that's kind of coded, but that's well, I mean, I, I, like, that's the whole point of these conversations to get different perspectives, you know? Sure. So was there, was there, uh, I mean, if there wasn't a particular message, was there an intention? Was there, um, something on your heart, your mind, your soul, so to speak in that time period that you can reflect on as you were, as you were writing? Yeah. I mean, I, you'll understand, you're, well, you'll get this in August, but man, sometimes you look at your kid. And you look at them in such a way that you love them so much that it's frightening. It mm. kind of scares you in a way. And um, because you know you would do things for that kid that aren't, that aren't good things. You right. Know? Yeah. Like, like ask any evil person why they did it and they'll say it's for their kids. Because they'll be like, I'm not an evil person. I'm just trying to do something to get my kids a, 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 a step up, you know? Heisenberg, yeah. that was his whole thing. That's what I'm saying. For my, you know, I'm, I'm assuming you've seen. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. Of course. Uh, yeah, exactly. Just Heisenberg. Yeah, just for my kids. You know, just to get them, just to get enough money for college and all that stuff. Yeah. And um, and so I mean that that <laughs> the original pitch provision provision was Breaking Bad Vision, right? Um, was it? Is that a joke? <laughs> so, so so the way the way Vision went down and then the original part of it was um, uh, Marvel contacted me. And because uh, I, I ran Grayson at the time, and an editor reached out to me, and he's he's like he's like Tom, I have the perfect character for you. I was like, I know it's Winter Soldier. I know what you're gonna say. <laughs> I ran Grayson go from Grayson to Winter Soldier. Yeah, if, you know I'm, I'm I'm I got the CIA background. I write the sidekick who's now the spy. You're gonna have me write the sidekick who's now the spy. I get it. And he's like Vision, and I was like. What and then I say what you should say always as a writer when you're trying to get in the interest industry, which is I lied and I said Fish is my favorite character. I always had a love for that one. I have the perfect pitch for you. Oh my god, I can't believe that's what you said. That's exactly oh, what I was. Thinking. And um, and then you like and then but then then it comes this other sort of weirdness between you and an editor where you're trying to get you're, when you're doing a pitch when you're sort of in a in a in a low power situation when you like really want to gig, you're trying to guess what's in the editor's mind. Cause I didn't really care what I was going to write so much as that I was going to write and make money to feed my family. Mm-hmm. So I'm trying to guess what he's going to say yes to. Um, and so I'm like, is there any parameters or anything you want? And he's like, it's, I want some of the sci files. Like, All right. Vision in space. I have it in my head. It's going to go. He's going to be silver surfer. And he's, gonna, and he's like, but not in space. I was like, sci-fi, but not in space. Fuck. Uh, <laughs> And then I, I was thinking, uh, okay, so I remember I was, I was like in the bathroom, like, what is sci-fi not in space? I was like, maybe it's like Frankenstein, like, like he has a wife, you know, he like he builds his own wife. I was like, hmm. oh, that, that's just Frankenstein, that's boring. I was like, well, what if he built a wife and kids? I was like, that's kind of fucked up. And usually, if you're having a pitch and you get to the point where you say, oh, that's kind of fucked up, you're onto something. Okay, all right, that's the that's something to remember. Yeah, that's the, and and so I was like, oh, I like that. That's 
that's kind of crazy. A, a, a guy who builds his own family. I was like, that's really weird. And he like builds a wife and kids and they're teenagers or something. But, and then I was, I was thinking that's, that's pretty cool. And so then I, I went out to my, my buddy, um, Daryl Taylor, who, uh, he does the Gotham by geeks podcast. And that's, he's like a guy I bounce all my ideas off. And, uh, I was like, hey, dude, I have this idea for Vision. What do you think? I was like, it's Vision, but he makes his own family. And he's like, that sounds kind of (laughs) lame. And I was like, he's like, is it like Small Wonder, the 80s TV show? And I'm like, oh, yeah, it's going to be, oh, that does sound kind of lame. And I literally just was was like, okay, well, uh, what makes it not lame? And I was like, but that makes him go evil. So it's Breaking Bad Vision. And he's Ah. like, sounds cool and that was i mean that was it was literally as fast as that i was like i was just responding to a buddy who's like vision with kids is lame i was like you're right he's like what, what would make it edgy and um and i was like oh breaking bad vision he ha- makes a family and that makes him go crazy that makes him go evil mm-hmm. and so that's how that's how i pitched it and the original image was like like a, a a happy family having dinner at the dinner table and they're all smiling norman rockwell style and underneath the table there's a dead body wow um, and uh yeah wow so well, that's that's that translates that's how vision started that translates and, uh, and i got lucky enough to work on it with his geniuses gabriel walter um who drew, drew it and jordy belair who colored it um uh, del mundo who did the cover art and clean cows who lettered it so i mean i just it was the perfect team and so it was writing it was like slicing through butter it was just so easy it was nothing it was not there's nothing like it yeah, I mean, Vision was is is excellent. Internet, if you have not read The Vision by Tom King, you need to definitely go ahead and do it. Twelve issues. Um, are all three trades out yet? It's two trades. Two they're, trades they're, excuse me. They're out. Yeah, it, we just got nominated for a Hugo Award. Um, where Vision won. Vision won every award last year, but very nicely. We won the IGN Best Comic of the Year. We won CBR's Best Comic of the Year. Um, so, if if you want to read one thing by me, I would suggest Vision. Now, I mean, you say read one thing, but Batman, we got a lot going on there too. <laughs> hopefully, Bat- hopefully you're already reading Batman. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, hopefully you are already reading Batman, but I guess the same question, like what was on your mind, heart, soul, spirit at that time when you were ri- re- writing Batman? Now, interesting in Batman number two, again, internet three, two, one spoilers for Batman. It's your fault. If you're still listening, you're asking for it. In Batman number 20, I saw you tweet. I've been wanting to write that pitch for, from since I was a kid, the whole you know, it's over, Batman. Today is your last day, Batman. This is the yeah. end, Batman. Yet I'm still here. Now that page to me was like, yes, this is like, yes, this is Batman. Yeah. So Batman was is completely different than these these sort of small. Oh, they're small comics. They sell well, but whatever. But like, I, I purposely didn't want to do. Like I, I've written these twelve issue miniseries that were kind of like artsy fartsy things that explored the human soul, whatever. My goal for Batman was to create a comic where at the end of the day you put down that comic and you went, Batman, fuck yeah. And like it was it, it wasn't to it wasn't at all to be like, Wow, that really made me think about Batman or that made me think about Origin, that made, made me sad or you know, like all the all the artists. I I, I just Sorry about that. No problem. Uh, I, I just wanted to, um, to, to, to. I think I think comics can do a few things. They can be literature. They, they, they can talk to our better natures. Um, but but another thing they can do is after a hard day, and a lot of people have hard days. Sorry. Um, they it's can distract. Good. They can distract you. They can they can boil. You. They can make you feel like the bullies that treated you bad that day can be punched in the face. Mm. They can make you think that good guys win. 
And, uh, and, and to me, that's one of the most important functions. So that's what I wanted to do with Batman sort of give you that feeling. Yeah. Um, so yeah, when I got to that moment in Batman 20, which I've been leading up to for 20 issues where Batman's just like, I don't go down. Right. That's not something I do. Um, yeah, that's something I, cause I, that's the feeling. I mean, my highs in comics, I mean, I have highs from comics when I watch, when I read Watchmen and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. But when I think of the best things I ever got out of comics, it was when I had a shitty day and I read a comic about a guy who wouldn't give up. A guy who just wow. wouldn't give up. Or a woman or, 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 or whatever. It just was pushed to their utter limits and said, no, I, I'm, I'm going to keep going. I'm yeah. going to fight for good. I'm going to save the world. Like those were the comments that inspired me and gave me like the biggest highs. So I just wanted to do that. Yeah. I mean, I think you executed that. I mean, Adam and I have been talking about Batman since you started and it was so great because I, when I think of Batman and I tell people about Batman, like when I think of my Batman run, I think of Scott Snyder and Greg Capullo because that was the first one that I have read month to month, physically own every copy. I have a signed copy of Batman number one by Greg Capullo and Scott Snyder. And you know, what has he got? 50 some issues of Batman that he's done with Greg Capullo. That's right. And it's like, this is great when I found that they were going to come off and there was some, there was some new guy called named Tom King coming on. I was like, ah, okay. But I didn't know who I had no clue who Tom King was, you know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I just didn't know. So it was like, okay, I'm going to read it anyway, man. And it just picked up, but went in a, in a, in a, an adjacent direction, which has been great. You know, <laughs> it's been great to have a different kind of story and still be able to give me another angle of Batman that I'm excited about. So we have had about a good, what is it? Seven, six, seven years of Batman, you know, from the, the, like from, from you, from Scott Snyder to you. And I'm just excited to see where you're going next. I'm excited to, to to continue reading Batman as as you take us forward into is it what is it the War of Jokes and Riddles the War of Jokes and Riddles that's the next well I mean after this taping the next thing that comes out is the button starts right. um, yeah. where we 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 do we talk about sort of the rebirth and and, and delve a little bit into that watch and stuff and I'm not allowed to talk about that at all just to say it's coming is all I can say fair enough um, and then. After that, we do sort of two wrap-up issues. There's really one issue is about Swamp Thing, uh, where I team up with Mitch um, Garrods again. We did Sheriff with me and did the two Catwoman rooftop issues. And uh, uh, Raindrop, Drop Top, Selena, and Bruce on a rooftop. Selena, that's right. <laughs> and uh, and then we do one last issue, which will be the, uh, an end of our first year, issue 24, because we've done a year because it's double shifts. Mm-hmm. And that's that's uh, me and David Finch back together again. And it'll be... A, It'll be a wrap up of the first year and sort of prelude to what comes next, which is jokes and riddles. Um, and then in issue 25, which is oversized, we start this big epic. It's an eight issue run. Um, and it's, I mean, it's easily my favorite Batman story I've written so far. Although I really liked Iron Bane. I think Iron Bane, made, those two are competing with each other. Yeah. Uh, um, I mean, I am Bane. Like, I am Bane is just badass Batman. It's just like, yeah, that's all, that's you're tough. I'm tougher. Uh, just real quick. There's a couple issues where I'm like, come on, y'all. There's a million people on this page. I I love Batman, but come on. Like, he has no weapon. They're shooting bullets. They're missing them. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? But after yeah. one, you just got to say, what do you say? That's issue 12 where Mikel threw every soldier fighting him that he ever fought. <laughs> yeah, it's just like, there's, it's like, and I think I remember on the episode I said, it's like, he's one person and it's like a horde of ants you know 
like millions, it seemed like millions of people, but the visuals of him scaling that building and going here and doing all that, it just kind of communicated. Now at issue 20, I get it. Like the last word pretty much being, yeah, yeah, you're Bane, but I think you forget I'm Batman. It's like, oh, that's what this has all been about. You know, the whole point is, yeah, it's ridiculous. Yeah, it's out of control. He's Batman. So like, he's different. Yeah, if he's, there's a horde of people. The the character I'm writing, that's Batman. He's going to get through. He's going to climb a castle and jump off the side and be fine. That's right. You know, that's Batman. That's Batman, yeah. Um, but uh, he does fight all those soldiers, but then he does lose that battle. <laughs> right. I had to have him lose. It's like if Batman has to lose, he has to fight at least 300 people before he loses. Yes. Yeah, fair <laughs> enough. Fair enough. He has um, to dodge a, full, a couple clips full of bullets. <laughs> yeah, Mikel drew a lot of guys, but when he draws them so pretty, I'm not gonna play. Yeah. yeah. There goes my dog. Uh and so um So War of Jokes yeah. and Riddles. War of Jokes we're and Riddles. Eight oversized issues. Eight no no so the first issue is oversized, and then we're getting eight eight and the whole thing will be eight issues altogether. And the idea of jokes and riddles are um Scott and Capullo, Scott Snyder and Greg Capullo are, are coming back and they're doing a huge Batman event and um, which is called metal and is brilliant. Excited and, uh, about that. I'm, I'm assuming yeah. you've seen more than all the rest of us. Yeah, no, I've been with Scott since day one planning this thing. So I know what it is. I know what it's about, where it's going. And, 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 uh, and I'm incredibly proud of Scott for putting together something dinosaurs so great. Dinosaurs and lasers. Dinosaurs and lasers. Scott Snyder, Greg Capullo, dinosaurs, lasers. I don't know what that means, but I'm, I am, uh, I am all about it. <laughs> Um, so uh, when you're faced with that I mean I I basically had the option of like do we make Batman the main title to me Batman has to be the place you go for consequence it's in continuity if you want a Batman story it's in Batman these aren't side these aren't what if stories Mm -hmm. but with Scott and Greg doing their thing I didn't want to sort of be like okay there's the A story where the B story because I feel that rips off people it's not worth your $2.99 gotcha um, and so I was sort of looking at how to do that and, and make it worth your money. And, um, as with everything, the person I wanted to steal from was Frank Miller. And I was like, how, and I looked back, I was like, Frank Miller did year one in the series. Hmm. Like, like those were actual issues that came out in the series. I was like that. And, and they had impact on continuity and they still impact comics today and they impact Batman's history. So I basically just stole, or I was inspired by that idea. And I was like, okay, we're going to have, um, we're going to go back to when Batman just after year one, when he's sort of confident and it's in the past. And we're going to tell a story about the past that will blow the future apart. Uh, um, a story about the past that's going to affect how we move forward in the future. That's exactly it. Yeah. Ooh. Just like you're just like year one did something that's going to, going to, going to rethink how you look at Batman and how Batman interacts in DCU and how the whole DCU interacts. And, and I wanted a huge story. I was like, there's no bigger story that I have on my docket than, joker versus riddler and i was like I, 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 such a simple idea it's like what i mean they, they've fought a little bit but they've never had like a big battle between the two of them and then and i got thinking like what's the difference between a joke and a riddle and i was like Ooh. Well, well a joke is kind of like it's the unexpected you know that's what makes a joke funny like um why did the chicken cross the road you think there's going to be a funny answer to you to the side it's not a funny answer it's a surprise that makes that joke funny yeah so it's, it's like it's the unexpected it's the chaos it's the crazy it's the anarchy and then i think about what's a riddle a riddle is like 
something you know it, it makes no sense and then you solve it it's like it's so it's 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 the closing of something it's the exact opposite but it's kind of oppressive it's like there's an answer for everything and so to me it became this idea of fascism versus anarchy hmm. and the difference between sort of um uh, the idea do, do we do we turn that to a, to a world with no laws or we turn to a world where we're just and now you know whatever your political affiliation like i'm so crazy she likes this pitch um uh we live in a crazy crazy time right now where where, where, where things make no sense um and, and and i feel torn between those two things of like everything feels like we have no way forward and it feels like also there's like a touch of fascism involved and i want mm-hmm. to talk about sort of both of those things and then talk about that through a, a, a through joker versus riddler versus batman so on one level it's just it's just a cool story of like all the villains of batman divided among the middle fighting against each other and a gang war with batman in the middle and another level is sort of about all the, the, the weird times we live in and, and this idea of what do we embrace do we embrace nothing do we embrace just absolute you know do we throw everything away or do we embrace the exact opposite which is maybe even more horrible the idea that we need to be controlled um so that you know that's jokes and riddles wow wow i'm in with art by uh with mikhail uh yanni who was my the artist on i am suicide mm-hmm. and it's it's the best work of his career i mean i think he'd tell you that it's brilliant wow this this is exciting we got we've got a lot to look forward to um coming up from batman in general and got a lot look look forward to from you is is there any other book that you're going to be working on or any other thing you're working on besides batman <laughs> uh, i mean i have a huge book but i haven't announced it yet i have a little thing that i like to push I mean, which is uh, announce it here i'm, I'm cool with that it's okay, up to you, no someone in dc would reach out and kill me um I, I work on um, I did an Elmer Fudd meets Batman oh, issue. I heard about that. They're like one of like Looney Tunes in DC are crossing over, right? Yeah, Looney Tunes in DC are crossing over, um, and it, I call. I had a hole in my schedule. I called Dan to do. I said, Dan, I have a hole in my schedule. I want to write something artsy. I want to do like the next you know killing joke, like something amazing, and and, and you know I want to do like the vision. And 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 Dan to said, Okay, I've got it. Batman meets Elmer Fudd. I was like, what? What are you talking about? And I, and I was like, I was like, you mean Batman becomes a cartoon character in a Looney Tunes? Because that's kind of fun. He's like, no, 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 no. Elmer Fudd goes into Batman's world. <laughs> and then I was like, that's the stupidest thing I've heard. And then I was like, wait a second. And I just saw Elmer Fudd cocking his shotgun and going, it's Bat Season. And I got all excited all of Whoa. a sudden. <laughs> Bat Season? I'm, I'm hunting Playboys. You know what I mean? oh, Wow. And uh, and I just is this, started writing. Is this a comedy? Is this like a joke, or is this going to be like Elmer Fudd's a real human being who happens to live in the same universe as <laughs> Batman? Elmer Fudd is a real human being who happens to live in the same universe as Batman. And uh, Bugs Bunny is also there, but he's—I mean—he's not a bunny. He's a guy named Bugs the Bunny. What? And uh, and it all takes place in Gotham City, and it's played straight, but Whoa. it's fucking hilarious and i love it it's with lee weeks on art and he's drawing it it's great wow wow that actually sounds great yeah, that sounds like great it. bugs because i'm listen i'm gonna tell you i got a lot of what was funny from bugs bunny fresh prince of bel-air and martin <laughs> that's what i mean that's what you know timing of a joke and like conversational you know ha ha he he yeah bugs bunny was a huge part in what was what i kind of like concluded was funny like at least when i was young you know what i mean like that's the kind of humor that's acceptable for a little kid so i mean bugs the bunny is like 
uh, a guy. I don't want. I, I honestly don't want to know anymore. I don't want to know any anything else other than that. That's plenty for me. But that's awesome. And these guys are in Gotham. They're in Gotham, yeah. Man, so it's it's that's awesome. it's Batman versus Elmer Fudd. Yeah, we do have with Tweety's in it. The little frog is in it. What it's great. the WB frog? The WB frog is right. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So there's going to be a lot of like, so those of us who know are going to be like, Oh my gosh, that's we. Oh my gosh. That's the, it. okay. So we're going to be able to pick up on those little Easter eggs and cues. Yep. And they're great. The, 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 I've seen the pages and it's really fun. That's awesome. So yeah, I hope everyone likes that. So that's a stupid little thing I'm doing, but I'm proud of it. So yeah. And something that has yet to be named that I guess we'll be finding out about soon. Eric, uh, question mark. Yeah, I'm doing. I'm doing a big. I'm doing my sort of follow-up division, a big RC contained series that's going to hopefully blow some minds. Okay, DC. In DC, yeah. All right. Okay. Cool. Awesome. Well, Tom, man, listen, I appreciate your time. This has been great. Thank you so much. I hope I didn't talk too much, and thank you to your audience for listening to all my blabbering. I appreciate it. I'm sure everybody's. Gonna, I'm sure everybody's enjoying it. Listen. Let Tom King know what you think. Tom is on Twitter at Tom King TK. Let him know what you think of this conversation. Let him know what you think of his origin story. Um, and I'm sure, I'm sure people are going to enjoy it. I'm sure people are going to be, you know, appreciate you sharing and be honest and transparent. I know I am personally. Um, so one more question before we go. Um, what's the lasting effect that you hope that your work has on your circle of influence and the people that you've been able to touch? When people look back at Tom King, what's the, what's the lasting effect you want to leave on them? I hope there's some kid out there who was like me who didn't quite fit in um, and reads one of my comic books and feels that uh, that the world is not so impossible. That's it. That's good. Because that's, that's what I got from comics when I was a kid. And that's I hope great. I can give it back. That's great. That's awesome, Tom. Uh, let them know where they can find you on the internet if they're looking for you, if they want to give you some feedback or just reach out and say hi or let you know how they feel about the work you've done. The best place is Twitter. You already said it. Tom King TK. My name and my initials. Just go there. There it is. All right. Um, you can find me on Twitter and, and Instagram and all the internets under the same thing at Octavius A. Newman, O-C-T-A-V-I-U-S-A-N-E-W-M-A-N. Um, you can, you can tweet at the show at Comic Book Junto on Twitter as well. Leave us five stars and a positive comment on iTunes. Leave us a comment on this show. Let us know what you think. Tweet at me and Tom in the show and Adam. Adam is at, at Adam Tetris on Twitter as well. Yeah. Leave us, leave us your thoughts. Leave us your opinions. Leave us your feedback, your critiques. We'd appreciate that um and uh make sure you leave your comments on soundcloud as you listen on soundcloud follow us on soundcloud and overall we appreciate you guys spending the time with us we appreciate you guys listening in and let us know who whose origin story you want to hear next so i think that's it thank you sir appreciate it appreciate you too we love you guys until next time peace (laughs) 